Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode about diet culture. We wanted to provide a warning for today's episode that we will be talking about some sensitive topics such as dieting, eating disorders, and eating and exercise habits. Please do not hesitate to check out some of the links at the bottom of this episode description for some helpful resources. And if you need to skip this episode, don't worry about it. We're excited to catch you on the next one. Hi, I'm Rachna. I'm Natalie. And I'm Christy. And welcome to the Triage Podcast. Joining us today, we have Kristen Lawton, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified personal trainer. Thank you, Kristen, so much for taking the time to be with us on the triage today. Can you tell us a little bit about what started your interest in dietetics and personal training and a little bit about your experience as well? Sure. And first off, thank y'all so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and yeah, I'll tell you a little bit, a little bit more about myself, um, how I got started. Yeah. So um, I'll give you a little bit of the longer story background. So I've always been you know, growing up an active kid, I was always involved in different sports, things like cheerleading, dance, um, trying to think what else, softball, things like that. Um, when I went into high school, it, you know, transitioned to marching band, um, you know, through high school and college. So always staying active in some way, um, you know, and connecting with friends and teammates and uh, marching band mates that way, you know, just to kind of keep my social circle going, like, staying fit was always a very social thing for me. Um, and when I was in high school too, the reason that I got interested specifically in nutrition was I definitely started to have some of my own body image struggles. Um, you know, when you're around that 14, 15 years old age, you kind of start to, you know, many, many people raised as women start to have struggles with their bodies. And I noticed that was definitely my exception. You know, I was not an exception to that rule rather. Um, and around that same time when I was about 15, it was the beginning of my sophomore year of high school. Um, my aunt who I was really close with was actually diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Um, and it was definitely a big struggle for my family and for myself and a lot of us were searching for answers as to why something this horrible could happen to, you know, someone so wonderful, someone we loved. And I landed on my way to kind of control the situation from my perspective was through my health and thinking about, well, I never want anyone to suffer like she did because she made me promise, you know, during her treatment that we would do everything we could to help others because um, I don't know anyone listening and, you know, y'all here on the pod, um, if you're familiar with the diagnosis of uh, Julie, I'm sorry, glioblastoma. it's a uh, grade four uh, brain tumor. Um, the survival rate past five years is about 40%, I believe. Um, and it's unfortunately not curable. So, you know, it's definitely a big bummer. Um, but that definitely started my, um, you know, definitely my interest in health even further. And in addition from there, um, as a means to kind of control my situation, I started engaging in some different disordered eating behaviors, becoming very obsessed with health, using exercise as a way to cope with, you know, my feelings as, you know, things were really tough to deal with. 
And um, maybe the outcomes at the time weren't super healthy because I lost a lot of weight really fast. I wasn't eating enough. Um, but a great part of that was that I found how healing exercise could be for me emotionally, um, which was one good thing that came out of it. Of course, it's not good to under eat, not, you know, not good to lose a lot of weight very quickly. But, um, you know, over the past years after that, you know, after my aunt's unfortunate passing about a year later, um, I started to recover slowly, but surely from my disordered relationship with food and fitness, um, as I went into college, I decided to study dietetics. I did my undergrad at Rutgers, New Brunswick, um, and that really helped me learn the why of nutrition. So not just, you know, when we think sometimes about nutrition, we think about cute little Instagram and TikTok posts of what I eat in a day and things like that, which I know we'll talk about later. Um, but, you know, it really helped me understand what's going on in my body and how I was kind of going back on my aunt's promise by not nourishing myself well enough. And so that combined with my knowledge really helped me personally. And by healing my own relationship with food through my undergrad and through my master's program really helped me decide that the best way for me to carry on my aunt's promise was to heal my own relationship with food and exercise. Um, and ways that I've done this were when I was a senior in college, I actually became certified as a body pump instructor. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with body pump, it's a group fitness program and it focuses on weight training. Um, and it's so much fun. It's a, again, kind of bringing back that idea that I mentioned before of community with fitness. Um, it was great. Had so much fun. I got another certification in um, Les Mills core, which is as you may have guessed, a very um, abdominal focus workout. So working from your core for full body strength. And then I decided to become a certified personal trainer too, again, because I realized how healing it was to not just move my body, but also to move my body in a group and help, you know, help other people feel okay, you know, for that 30 minutes, hour class. Um, so, you know, be becoming a personal trainer just seemed like another, you know, natural evolution and whatnot. And so one other thing that I want to also say to just tie up everything with my, you know, where we are now is I am now officially registered dietitian in addition to a trainer. Um, I work at a couple of inpatient facilities per diem. So essentially, for anyone not familiar with that term, that means that I jump around from different facilities as staffing needs. So it's not necessarily like full-time or part-time. It's more so as needed. Um, in addition, I also am in the process of starting my own outpatient practice. Um, that's kind of in the works. I have maybe one or two you know, clients that are friends of friends, that sort of thing. Um, but the more formal version of that is currently in the works. And the lens that I typically practice from is the anti-diet lens, um, health at every size, intuitive eating, which I know we will get to in a moment. So if you don't know what that is, stay tuned. Um, you know, I don't work with weight loss. Um, I don't put patients on diets unless, you know, it is something truly medically indicated like diabetes or something like that, for example. Um, so just kind of, I know I mentioned a few kind of things about, um, you know, weight loss and that. So I just want to make that clear that that's not a lens that I typically practice through now. So, 
Thank you, Kristen, so much. It's so wonderful to hear about your achievements and you're clearly really knowledgeable in this field. So I'm really excited to hear um, a little bit more when we dive into exactly what you're talking about, um, your methodologies, and maybe you could help us bust some uh, diet myths and things like that. And um, I, uh, no, so excited. Um, but also too, um, I wanted to say that I'm so sorry for the loss of your aunt. And I think that it's really incredible hearing about how in your healing with your relationship in food and fitness, you're honoring that promise. So that's something really powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you. You know, thank you for the kind words. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Kristen. So I guess I'll dive in with our first question. Mm -hmm. A lot of people these days try to track their calories with MyFitnessPal or other apps. And I see the number... 1200 1400 calories in a day thrown around to help you lose weight what is your thoughts on this type of dieting so I'm so glad that you started with this question um so I definitely have feelings about my fitness pal and any of the other tracking apps so what I'll say is this first is that tracking food whether it's calories tracking macros macros are short for macronutrients so that's carbohydrates, protein, and fat. Um, I think it can be a very slippery slope. Um, the only time I really have ever indicated tracking is for people who chronically undereat due to health conditions, um, where maybe they struggle due to different necessary restrictions to get enough calories in. Um, other than that, I think that tracking is a really slippery slope into disordered eating and obsessing over what you eat. Um, so that's my first thought on uh, my fitness pal. A common thing that I actually have my outpatient clients do is their first homework assignment for our sessions is to delete my fitness pal or delete, um, you know, whatever whatever tracking app they have. Again, with that exception of if someone is truly using it to make sure that they're eating enough. Um, wow. So just yeah, so it's kind of a nuanced conversation um, in that respect. But you know, on the whole, to make to use it as a limiting factor, I think that tracking is um, no bueno. Um, but so for the the numbers that you mentioned, right, so the 1,200 and 1,400 calories a day. So um, those are actually the caloric needs for a toddler about um, a four-year-old child. Oh, my um, God. I know, right? <laughs> it's definitely like a this might shock you moment, but it's true. Um, and so... That being said, these numbers do get thrown around a lot. Um, yeah, all over social media. Yeah, it's it's baffling to me. Um, you know, so it's really, I think that, you know, dietitians who practice from an anti-diet lens really have kind of an uphill battle because, you know, so many, like y'all are saying, so many sources will cite these numbers and it's really, excuse me, um, I really just want to know, like, where, where are y'all getting this number from? Um you know, diet culture can be really insidious like that, right? So you hear a number that sounds appealing. And when I say you, of course, I mean like the general you. Um, but whoever is listening, you know, hears that number of, oh, like 1,200 calories, calorie deficit. I'm going to lose weight if I do that. Um, another point that I want to bring up too is that diets don't work. 90% um, of all diets fail. Um, and what I mean by diets that fail is... Um, People who, you know, might go on a diet, whether it's, you know, any of the fad diets, so 
you know, keto, Whole30, um, Atkins, Weight Watchers. Um, I'm trying to think of the other, you know, those other, any other fad diet that's restrictive, right? To these lower calorie numbers, your body literally thinks that it's starving. Um, so our bodies are super, super smart at keeping us alive. And so our bodies also don't know the difference between, oh no, I'm in a famine. There's not enough grain or potatoes for the season. And, oh, I'm just on Weight Watchers eating 1,200 calories a day. Right, right. And so what our bodies do with this knowledge is we will, um, you know, typically hold on to that, you know, that energy that we are getting, right? Um, our metabolism slows down because we need to conserve that energy for, like, our body pretty much says screw digestion. We need to power our brain and our heart and our lungs. Um, and they do it so in the most efficient way possible. And then once, you know, you eventually maybe go off the diet, you know, someone who's maybe dieting for like a big event to lose weight, the event comes and goes and they finally go back to their quote unquote, like normal eating pattern. Um, they'll start to gain that weight back to their, their baseline weight, you know, which is fine. And then they will oftentimes gain more weight back because again, thinking back to the idea of our bodies are smart but they don't know the difference between a diet and a famine, your body says, oh my gosh, that was so scary. We need to be prepared in case this famine happens again. We need to make sure that we add a little bit of extra weight for you just in case, because we need to make sure you have enough energy to get through to till you get food again. And so that being said, this is a very long-winded answer, but for the, you know, the numbers of 1,200 and 1,400 calories, those are essentially numbers that will put most adults into a semi-starvation state state rather that's really interesting and eye-opening mm -hmm. and this is also a healing conversation for me too I mean you talked about your healing journey and mm -hmm. I was one of those people who used my fitness pal and tracked my macros and I think it was called if it fits your macros and people would do the hashtag like IIFYM or whatever it was. Um, oh, and it took a long time to get out of that mindset, um, especially when you are, you know, interested in fitness and trying to figure out your body when you're growing into a young adult. And um, that was also when I first started college too. So like you, I, I did sports and was active in high school and then I get to college and it, it's just a totally different thing. So it's it's nice to hear that that's the framework that you're taking is letting it be known that we don't need to be tracking um, for every part of our life and, and fitness and and nutrients included. Um, I think we track a little too much in our lives now and it can be overwhelming. So it's just helpful to know that that it's okay to to kind of get rid of that practice. And one thing I was thinking about when when you were explaining that and explaining how you work with with your clients and patients is a lot of this tracking and these different diets that are show, that are fed to us through our social media algor algorithms um, like keto like a lot of other diets that are are shown to us it it still has manifested from things that have been going on for so long right like Mm -hmm. how we diet is shaped by how we're raised a lot of the time and whether that's cultural or even just by seeing parents, guardians, friends, other loved ones. And I actually experienced this a lot in the office setting. Um, now I work from home, but when I was at an office, 
that's all anyone would ever talk about is dieting, um, getting ready for vacation and cutting foods out to, to look good for an event. And this feeds your mind with so much restrictive diets and people speaking negatively about their bodies. And that impacts us, you know, from the time we're raised and even now in the culture we're at where we're on our phones all the time or we're in an office setting, whatever it is. So how can we try to unlearn those messages that we've grown up with or still experience? I mean, it's really hard to get rid of diet culture on algorithms. Like I have tried so hard and it doesn't go away. So I have honestly just deleted those apps. So how can we try to actively unlearn these messages and, and try to heal even when we're getting fed all of this information that may not be helpful to us? Yeah, so that is a really good question, and I wish that I had an easy answer, but I'll I'll do what I can to, you know, to give you a, a good applicable answer. So, you know, as you have insinuated, of course, diet culture is everywhere. It's so pervasive, per, words are hard, pervasive. <laughs> diet culture is so pervasive in our society, right? Like, we are inundated with information about, you know, what you should and shouldn't eat. And I'm using very heavy air quotes around should and shouldn't, um, but you can't see me because this is a podcast. But, um, uh, you know, they're, we're inundated with this information, whether it's, um, you know, ads on TV or Hulu or it's people in the office that are speaking about, you know, their vacation. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, try to lose a couple of pounds before I go on my beach vacation or, you know, your loved ones. Um, you know, how many of the folks out there have been greeted by, you know, an extended family member they haven't seen who says, hey, how are you doing? You look good. What does that mean? Did I didn't, did I not look good before? Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) You know, so I'll answer it. And also, so I'll answer it in the context of dealing with, you know, interpersonal things. So maybe people at the office and family and friends and things like that. And then I'll answer it more so about, the, you know, the point you mentioned about the algor- like algorithms on social media and whatnot. So in terms of interpersonal relationships, depending on who the person is, depending on what your culture is, you know, these are just going to be general tips. So, um, you know, if something doesn't work for you or you need to adjust something to better fit your, your situation, please go ahead and do that. This is by no means an exhaustive list. Um, you know, one good tip when it's possible, especially if it's maybe in like a work setting in a in an office or similar, um, if people are participating in diet talk, if it's a situation where you can just remove yourself, whether it's um, physically, you know, leaving, you know, being like, I have to go check something or, you know, I have a meeting I forgot about, just extricate yourself from the situation. You can also quote unquote, extricate yourself from the situation by, you know, maybe just disengaging from the conversation. So just not participating. If you don't feel comfortable, you could go on your phone or something like that, or talk to somebody else about something. Um, So that's one way. It's just, you know, removing yourself, whether literally or, you know, at least conversationally. Um, Another one is if someone maybe says something more directly to you, Um, If you feel comfortable, there's a couple different ways you can go about this. Um, One way is to just gently change the subject. So if someone is like, oh, did you lose weight? You could be like, oh, what about that movie you saw? Or, hey, how are the kids? Or, you know, just completely kind of 
in a way that's not going to be super rude, just completely just changing the subject and just not answering the question. So that's one way you could go about it. If you feel safe and comfortable in the situation, you could always set a boundary, which is the hardest one, I think, but it's my personal favorite because it's, you know, hopefully if the person is someone who cares about you and loves you, and this might work better with friends or family, um, they'll understand. If you say, hey, I don't want to talk about my body right now, and then maybe go into switching the subject or something like that. You know, it doesn't have to be a big to do if you don't feel comfortable talking about it and explaining things about why you don't want to talk about your body. Um, And another point too, for anyone listening, um, friendly reminder that the only time that you should be commenting on somebody's body is never. Um, So don't do it. Yeah, just don't, just don't do it. Um, You know, the only exception I can think of that might be okay is if you have maybe a very, very old, very sick grandparent who wants to know if you lost if they lost weight that might be the only time I would say it's okay just because we want to make sure they're not malnourished but other than that don't comment on people's bodies even if they ask you to just don't do it if you're when in in doubt just don't do it um okay so that's my part on the interpersonal um ways to kind of you know remove yourself from that diet culture um But in terms of things like social media, we all have it. What do we do? Um, And it's going to probably vary from one app to the next. So if we're talking something like Instagram, where it's more follow-based and you can sort of curate your feed based on who you're actively following, um, I would say just, you know, avoiding accounts that make you feel like garbage. You know, I think everybody has at least one fitness or wellness or health and, excuse me, influencer, you know, in their orbit, in their feed. Um, And if you find yourself subconsciously comparing yourself to this person, whether it's in looks or, oh, this person has, um, you know, they seem like they have it all together with their food and nutrition, or I wish I could work out as much as them, like, even things like that, if you feel yucky after engaging with their content, that's kind of your sign that you should unfollow. Um, so that's that. In terms of the explore page on Instagram, I think that's what it's called. Forgive me if my terminology is not right. Um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am me. And on my my personal Instagram and on my, my dietitian Instagram, you know, I follow all of the health accounts I follow are people that are like anti-diet, they're eating disorders therapists, they're um, trainers that, you know, train for like strength and feeling good and that sort of thing. And I still get diet culture messaging. Wow. If I'm I'm getting it, I'm sure y'all are getting it too. So, you know, I'm so ingrained. So, so ingrained. It slips in there. Yeah. And I've just gotten to the point where I just don't engage with that part of Instagram like I look at my feed I look at my stories I look at my friends and my messages but I don't look at I guess I've never seen anything on the explore page personally that's been enticing because it's just usually just like random junk um at least for me I don't know what anyone else's experience is like but I would just say if you're not sure to 
ignore the explore page if you can. It might be hard. Another thing you can do on Instagram is I want to just check the terminology. Um, I'm opening my Instagram to check. There's something that you can do if something does come up. If you click those little three dots, you can hide posts as well. So if you find a post that's triggering um, or makes you uncomfortable, makes you feel yucky, for lack of a better word, just go to that hide feature. Um, and sometimes it'll say, it'll ask you why you're hiding it. If it's something. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I've actually, so this is a silly, a silly aside, but, um, despite being a healthcare professional, I'm very squeamish. So sometimes if things come up on my Instagram that are even like, not anything like bad, quote unquote, but like something that's just like, oh, look, someone cut their finger and it's bleeding. Um, I can't, I, I can't do that. There's a reason I'm a dietitian, not a nurse. <laughs> I mean, I love food, but I can't, I can't do blood. I can't do none of that. So if you hit the hide button, oops, and then it will say, um, you know, this post has been hidden. You'll see posts like this lower in your feed. And then if it's something that you wanted to unfollow, you could, if you want to mute them, if you want to, if it's something that's reportable, like it breaks a, you know, one of the, the terms and conditions on Instagram, you can report it too. So um so yeah so that's my bit on instagram um tiktok i'm gonna be honest with you i'm not as familiar with how tiktok works but one part that i do know that is very insidious is that gosh darned algorithm with the the for you page um i think sometimes you just think about things you want to see on tiktok and they appear on your for you page i don't know how to do it but they they get in there um so you know really the only Thing that I can say at least with that is just make sure you're not engaging with that content when it comes up and again I am me and sometimes diet culture tiktok tries to get onto my for you page and I'm like how how did you get here like I didn't leave the door open get out oh my gosh <laughs> it's so true it's so yeah. I'm laughing because it's so true yeah. well, that's oh, the thing it's is, like at the end of the day, like, you're never gonna be able to get rid of it. You know, you can try. Yeah. But it's just yeah. not gonna go away. So you just kind of have to keep your guard up. Um, You know, definitely, at least in regards to something like TikTok, if you see it, just scroll past it. Um, I actually don't know if there's like a hide function on TikTok. I'm, again, I'm not as familiar with the app as I am Instagram. But um, if there's a hide app or a hide, hide function... Um, there is. I only know yeah. this because I'm unfortunately I'm obsessed with TikTok. But I believe if you hold down the video, and I that could be not the right thing to do, but something there is a way to get a pop up that says like hide videos like this or not interested okay. and things like that. So hopefully it it'll send that message to the algorithm saying not mm -hmm. interested. Don't don't give me more um, content like this because I'm not going to interact with it. And then okay. hopefully that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's really the. The most important thing you can do with, um, you know, with avoiding that diet culture messaging on social social media is like these apps are literally designed to keep you engaged. So if you send, you know, a message to the app saying like, you know, I'm hiding this post, I'm not interested in this. Um, it's going to say, well, I want you to be engaged with my app. So I'm going to send you things that you are interested in. And then hopefully, gosh willing, maybe you'll get more cat videos instead of celery juice. Yes. Um, so absolutely. did we answer all the parts of your question? Yes, I think yeah, you did, absolutely. actually. Yeah. That was really great. Oh, that good. was really Thank awesome. You. 
All right. So we talked a lot about the unhealthy ways of dieting trends, the unhealthiness of diet culture and the negative influence mm-hmm. others have in real life and on social media on our eating habits. But I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the healthy ways of dieting. You know, food is our fuel and we need to be allowing ourselves to indulge and feed ourselves with nutritious foods. So if someone is trying to kind of control their nutrition in a healthy way, what would a diet look like for that? Yeah, so that's a good question. And so the first thing I want to just specify, um, you know, just from the perspective of the word diet, um, from this point forward, at least for answering this question, when I say diet, I mean diet is equivalent to just your daily eating patterns. Um, so I don't mean it as like, oh, it's like a specific like the keto diet or Weight Watchers or something like that. Like when I say diet in this context, I mean it as just what you're eating in a day, um, just typically. Um, and so I would say I have more vague um, advice to this um, to you know, this end just because I don't believe in really, again, counting macros, counting calories, anything like that, um, unless it's truly medically indicated for something like, um, you know, if someone's underweight or, um, you know, has a very like specific complex medical condition, which if that's you, you'll know that that's you. Um, so for someone who's just generally trying to, you know, improve their diet, um, I can offer some tips. Um, I think that it's really helpful to focus on um, fruits and veggies because they are, you know, at the end of the day, while all foods fit in our diet, um, you know, we can also still make plenty of room for, you know, yummy, healthy meals too, right? Um, And so I typically, the way that like, I eat if I could do it I'm not going to do a one of those what you eat in a day because I hate those um but you know one thing that I like to focus on is typically getting in like a fruit or a veggie at each meal again this is not something that must be done but this is just like a general guideline and then if you don't do it it's like all right whatever I'll just eat a fruit or a veggie at the next meal it's not a big deal um but you know making room for plenty of fruits and veggies drinking lots of water um some, I would say, depending on, again, this is something that might vary from one culture to the next, just because I know some cultures really like different grains and different starches. So I would say just keeping your starches balanced. They, you know, if you can, if you like whole grains, go ahead and eat them. But for example, if you're from a culture that maybe eats a lot of um, potatoes or a lot of white rice, don't change that. You know, definitely still honor your cultural traditions. But, you know, maybe just pair your starches in addition, and this goes for everybody, right? So pairing your starches with some protein, too, can be really helpful just to keep you full and keep your meal nice and balanced. So that way you're not hungry, um, you know, maybe an hour later. So, you know, thinking about a generic balanced meal, we'll have some starch of some kind, a protein, and maybe a fruit or a vegetable, Um Dairy is, you know, depending on, again, who you are, do you, are you lactose intolerant, anything like that, you know, dairy's cool, is it a requirement, not necessarily, but, you know, making sure you are getting your calcium from somewhere, so you have nice strong bones, um, so that's, you know, just kind of a general thing as well, um, you know, I really don't, again, I don't like to give super specific recommendations on 
you know, healthy eating. And again, just because I think it, it can be a very nuanced conversation because there's a lot of right ways to eat well. Um, you know, and depending on someone's culture, how active they are, um, you know, even their, their typical appetite, you know, some people are the kind of people who like to eat maybe small frequent meals and that works better for them. Some people, you know, depending on their, their life and their schedule and their food access might only be able to eat like two meals a day. Um, you know, so there's definitely a lot of factors that go into that, but those are kind of my general tips for, you know, kind of improving someone's diet day to day. Oh, and one more thing also, um, snacking. Snacking is rad and awesome. And, um, it'll help keep your energy up through the day, especially if you find yourself slumping between lunch and dinner, or even after dinner, if you find yourself hungry, have a snack. Snacking's awesome. I like that. That's a very helpful point to me because I'm one of those people that I like snacking is what helps me get through the day. Like honestly, yes. like the three meal thing doesn't work for me because I, I don't know. I just don't metabolize like that. It doesn't work for me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I need breakfast. Sometimes I don't. So it's, mm-hmm. again, it's just really helpful to hear that eating and, and fitting nutrients into your day can look different for different people. And I don't think that's the message that we all have gotten. And and we were talking about this before, that there is this term intuitive eating. Would you say that this mindset is intuitive eating or is that something that's different than what you're describing in terms of, you know, staying in tune with your culture, but also making sure you're getting nutrients and maybe thinking about meals in, you know, it doesn't have to be three meals a day. It can be, it can incorporate snacking. Like, is that what intuitive eating is or is that something that's different? I was hoping you'd ask this question. So I actually have my intuitive eating book in my hands as we speak. Um, And I have a couple of pages bookmarked that I would like to read to y'all. Or not, I'm going to not going to read you the whole page, but just like a little, a little bit of like a definition. Um, Just because I think that a lot of times, especially recently, um, I've heard intuitive eating thrown around a lot more. And of course, like I hear it on the daily because of my profession But I've realized that I think diet culture is trying to get its dirty little hands on intuitive eating. Get that word out of your mouth, diet culture. Um, Because it is not a framework for weight loss or anything like that. But what intuitive eating is, um, there are three key features of it. So the first one is unconditional permission to eat when you're hungry and eating what food you want. Um, the second one is eating for physical rather than emotional reasons, which like, mm, not perfect, but it's fine. Um, the third one is reliance on internal hunger and satiety cues to determine when and how much to eat. So essentially, in a nutshell, intuitive eating is understanding your own hunger and fullness cues. Um, excuse me. And um, there are 10 different um, kind of pillars or uh I don't want to say guidelines because it's not much strict, but they're kind of like 10 uh, pr- principles. That's the word I'm looking for, 10 principles. Um, and that might help too. So I can read those to y'all as well, if you would like. Amazing. Please. This is awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. I, I understood the assignment. I have my, I have like an entire staff yes. on my desk. So 
<laughs> you got to be prepared. Anyway, so the um, the 10 principles of intuitive eating, um, and these might be out of order. So anyone who's listening, don't come for me if they're in the wrong order. I'm sorry. Um, but um, so it's honor your hunger, respect your fullness, discover the satisfaction factor, um, movement, feel the difference. That's a little cheesy, but it's fine. Um, reject the diet mentality, make peace with food, challenge the food police, cope with your emotions with kindness, respect your body, and honor your health with gentle nutrition. Those are really impactful. Thank you so much. And I think I love things like that because I think that's something that um, people could really take away from this episode um you have shared so much and we our conversation isn't just done yet but I love things like that that are a little bit compact and things you could take away really easily and then um they could also listen to this episode and hear um all of the wonderful tips that you've given so far there's so much good stuff to talk about um but so a really cool thing about intuitive eating is so I read y'all kind of what it is what the principles of it are um and so there is a whole, you know, a whole framework. There are um, dietitians and counselors that are actually certified to practice specifically within the framework of intuitive eating. That is not me at this time, but I definitely fall into the bucket of people who, you know, we can still take bits and pieces from it and help our patients and help our clients with it. Um, a really big part that, you know, many folks such as myself will take from intuitive eating is allowing yourself to get away from that diet mentality, right? So that's one of the, the the principles is reject the diet mentality and realize that if you're using something to help you improve your relationship with food, it doesn't have to be weight-centric. It can be something that is just helping you become more in touch with your body um, and also becoming aware that you can cope with your emotions with kindness, which is something that I love about this framework too. So we're talking, of course, about food and our relationship with our body, but also realizing that food and nutrition doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? So food and nutrition is political, it's social, and it even, you know, it goes in, in hand in hand with not just our physical health, but our mental health too. Um, you know, who here has either done, said, or made a joke about quote-unquote eating their feelings? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know I have. And hey, like, there's nothing nothing inherently wrong with that either. Of course, you know, we want to address if someone has, you know, a history of binge eating or something like that. Of course, you know, we want to ensure that person is getting the help they need. And, you know, that's a whole different specific conversation, but you know, for a general human being without, you know, a history of maybe binge eating, but someone who's upset and, um, you know, you're like, gosh, dang, I'm upset. And I just, I had a bad day. I just want to have, you know, some ice cream because it's going to make me feel better. Like eat your ice cream, you know, like it's okay. You can cope at times with food. Um, again, as long as you're not, you know, kind of going into binge eating territory, which is again, a whole, whole nuanced conversation that I won't, you know, we won't get into because we'd be here all night, but, um, you know, things like that and understanding that you are a complex person and you have a lot, you know, a lot going on and your emotions are going to make you feel ways. 
and it's going to affect your appetite and what you crave, and that is okay. You're not broken. You're normal. If you, you know, if you have foods that are, you know, we have comfort foods for a reason. And if you're one of those people that you're like, yeah, today sucked. I just want Ben and Jerry's and like mac and cheese. That's fine. Um, so anyway, I went on my whole, my whole rabbit hole down, um, why, you know, emotional eating is not necessarily always bad, but anyway, um, back to intuitive eating, you know, kind of as a whole, I think that it can be a really helpful, you know, it can be a really helpful tool to just help someone work through their relationship with food and that, um, lost my train of thought, but yeah, I think it's a really awesome tool and I think it does get misunderstood a lot. Um, you know, because it's not used to help somebody lose weight or anything like that. It's really just about improving your relationship with your body, with your health, with food. And um, that, you know, has been linked to outcomes, you know, such as reduced stress. Hold on, I have a chart here that has more, um, more evidence. Give me one second. Um, so yeah, so intuitive eaters have um, typically decreased risk of disordered eating. They also have, um, you know, less feeling out of control around food, less binge eating, emotional eating, um, which again, in moderation is okay, but you know, not your only coping mechanism, um, lower blood pressure, lower body dissatisfaction, better self-esteem, um, better variety of foods eaten because you're allowing all foods to fit in your diet, um, pleasure from eating, uh, life satisfaction, higher self-esteem, higher awareness of your body, proactive coping. Um, so, you know, I could go on singing the praises of intuitive eating, you know, all night, but I know we have some other things to chat about. So, but I just kind of wanted to add that additional info about it. Listen, as a public health person, I love a good chart. I feel like you can never have too many charts. And maybe that's something we could share on our social media, too. If, um, you know, yeah. we can credit the wonderful book that you're using. But thank you yeah, so much for, um, te- I would say teaching. Like, I feel like I am, I'm learning so much right now. Like, thank you for teaching us about that. Like, this is something like you saying that could really have a positive health impact on so many people. And mm-hmm. still talking about, um, still keeping that con- the, the conversation in this positive way that we're going right now. I actually had a question about grocery shopping. So mm-hmm. I am a person with anxiety. I don't know if I've ever talked about that on the podcast, but a lot of people in my personal life who are listening are familiar with that fact, and I haven't even identified why, but one of the things that really does get me anxious is grocery shopping. It could be because there's so many wonderful options um, where I live in like in my specific grocery store of choice of things to buy, um, and it even could be like I could really even be subconsciously doing that association of good food and bad food, which we're talking about, like, you know, moving away from. Do you have any tips for people who are starting to adopt that balanced um, eating lifestyle that you were mentioning earlier, um, how to not get overwhelmed at the grocery store? Yeah, so that is a good question. I'll I'll let y'all in on a secret. As a fellow anxious millennial, um, I also sometimes struggle a little bit with grocery shopping. Um, you know, it's it's kind of overwhelming. You kind of enter the um, what's the phrase for it? Um, was it like a choosers paradox where you're trying to, you know, you're like, do I choose the Honey Nut Cheerios? Do I choose the regular Cheerios? You're inundated with choices, and the fact that you have so many choices becomes overwhelming and feels limiting. 
Um, um, and so, yeah, I think that's very valid. So that being said, something that I have found to be helpful for myself, and I've actually, I've actually taken clients grocery shopping before because, you know, you're not the only person who struggles with this, if that's some comfort for you. Um, so I think first off, knowing where you're going to go shopping is the first part. So you're going to go to Trader Joe's or you're going to go to your other regionally appropriate, you know, uh, store chain. Um, I think that's going to be the hardest part is kind of, cause that's good. That might affect what you're choosing. So, you know, for example, if you're going to Trader Joe's and you know, if that is something that you have access to and you find yourself being overwhelmed by choices, I actually think that Trader Joe's, if, possible is a really good kind of quote-unquote like training wheels kind of store um, because it eliminates the um, the what's the word I'm looking for like the idea of being overwhelmed by brand choices right because almost everything there is Trader Joe's brand um, so you yeah, don't have a choice yeah. except for store brand so if that if that is something that applies to you and you have access to a Trader Joe's I would recommend starting there because at least that will eliminate one of the stressors. So that's my one tip. My second tip is writing a list, write the gosh danged list. I don't care if you write it on your phone. I don't care if you write it on the back of a napkin or your hand. I don't care. Just write it down. Um, because that's just going to help you stay organized. Um, and so that being said, well, how do you make a list? So glad you asked. Um, so what you're going <laughs> to do is you know, I think some, okay, and this is how I feel about meal prepping too. Some people love it and it really helps. Having structure can be really helpful. Um, I personally, again, this is another secret. I find meal prepping to be helpful, but also very overwhelming. Um, so if you are one of those people like me, choose simple meals. Um, you know, choose something that's easy. There's nothing wrong with convenience foods. They're convenient for a reason. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks work, you know, work long hours. Even if you're working at home, you're still, your brain is still busy. You're still, you know, committing a lot of time to something. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with having convenience foods around, like, you know, a salad in a bag or, you know, maybe putting a couple of frozen meals in the freezer for when you don't have, time or energy to cook. Um, again, nothing wrong with that. So that's another tip, you know, so we want to, you know, if you're inundated by choice, eliminating the choices, make your list. Don't be afraid of convenience foods. And if you are someone who's trying to cook more, I would recommend just maybe choosing, you know, maybe one recipe, two, three recipes, whatever you feel is reasonable and attainable for you. Pick you know, whatever your desired number of recipes is, sit down in front of your computer or your phone or whatever you're looking at your recipes on and just write down what you're going to need and how much, because sometimes the quantity can be hard. Um, and be honest with yourself and make sure you're reading the recipe right. Some recipes are for one person, some are for 10. <laughs> um, I ended up making pierogies once with a friend where we made 60, I think, no, not 60. It was like eight dozen pierogies. Um, oh so, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> my dreams. <laughs> it was incredible. It was a wonderful time. But, um, you know, making sure that you read the recipe amount will save you. It could save you time. It could save you money. Um, you know, it could save you heartache because if you don't have 
I don't know, eight pounds of potatoes, you know, you might only need one pound. <laughs> so read the recipe amount for how many servings. Um, so yeah, those are kind of my, my uh, tips for that. And I think also just the idea of exposure therapy to shopping can be kind of scary for some people, but just doing it, you know, just going in, remembering like, this is okay. It doesn't have to be a perfect shopping trip. Mm, um, yeah. You don't, if you deviate from your list because you see that the Oreos are on sale, that's okay. No worries. You know, you don't have to have a perfect shopping trip either. So bringing that pressure off of yourself to, you know, quote unquote, be good is, um, I think also helpful. Um, and did we talk about, did we talk about good and bad foods yet? Was that, I don't know if that was a question y'all had for me or if you wanted me to mention that. No, absolutely. Please. I think we have all the, the four of us, I think we've all been hinting at it within this episode, mm -hmm. but I think 100% you, well, let's expand on it. Oh my gosh. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So um, there is no such thing as good or bad food. Um, a lot of times we will, you know, kind of hint at morality in food, whether it's diet culture, you know, a well-meaning auntie, um, you know, a, even a dietitian. We, you know, we have to catch ourselves too, but there are truly no such thing as good and bad foods, right? Like there's actually, I can't find the page in my intuitive eating book, but I know that there's a quote in there, something to the effect of, um, if you didn't kill the farmer to get your food, you don't have to feel guilty about what you eat. Um, and it sounds like kind of silly because of course you're not going to go commit homicide to have your dinner, I hope. Um, and so, you know, it sounds a little silly, but a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of guilt and shame around different foods that we eat, especially if it's something you know, like a special occasion, or we eat, you know, a meal that might is might be a little bit more like rich than usual. Um, you know, there's no, you're not a bad person for eating something delicious and decadent. You know, we can have, you know, our health in mind, but also you can have birthday cake, you can have donuts, you can have uh, a fat sandwich if you're a Rutgers person for anyone listening who doesn't know what a fat sandwich is think fried goodness in a giant roll it's wonderful I would recommend um, you know you can have these things too they're not bad foods the only bad foods I say and these are you know what I, I stick to the foods you shouldn't eat are foods that you really really hate something you're allergic to if you have a food allergy or something that is not food so just, you know, objectively not edible, like glass, don't do that. Um, other than that, there's no such, you know, there's no inherently good and inherently bad. Um, the only context I will say has an exception to that is if, again, you have a very complex medical condition. Um, for example, if someone who has failing kidneys wanted to eat something like an orange because of the potassium, I would say, no, that's a bad food for you to eat because it could really hurt you. Um, but for most, most of us folks who don't have, again, those severe complex medical conditions, there is not a single food that you can eat that is going to do any damage. The stressing and obsessing over food is going to cause more damage to your body than the food itself. Oh, I love that. That's so yeah, true. That's, that is so amazing to hear. And I think especially over the holidays and stuff, people tend to feel really guilty about the amount of food that they're eating because, mm -hmm. you know, the holidays mm -hmm. are 
kind of centered around food, right? You're eating with your family, you're all coming together for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. So Mm -hmm. it's actually really nice to hear that because you shouldn't feel guilty about doing those things and indulging in those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something that I like to kind of think about too is, so first off, thinking about, um, you know, how long the holidays go on for, depending again on your culture, what, what holidays you celebrate, it's going to, you know, your holiday season might be longer or shorter than someone else's. But let's just talk about the month of December, right? So that one 31 day month, that is, I think, approximately 12% of one year. So if you ate, like, so much food every single day, of December like that is 12% of your entire year like that is such a small amount of time and think about how many meals you eat in a day never mind 31 days and then never mind 65 not 65 oh my gosh 365 days I don't know how to count (laughs) that's a great way to put it into perspective and even so and just thinking you know not even about the fact that you know what we eat day to day really doesn't do very much either way for us. I mean, obviously it can help us nourish our bodies and give us energy in that sense. But in terms of like, quote unquote, long-term damage, like it, one meal, one month doesn't matter. And also in the context of weight loss, even if you did have a lot of really rich, yummy holiday foods over your holiday season and you gained weight, you gained weight. You know, like, in terms of, like, trying to just neutralize that idea of, like, weight, like, it's kind of dismantling that fat phobia of, like, gaining weight is morally bad, like, or there's something wrong with you. It's like, you're just nourishing your body and your body is responding by saying, hey, this is great, let's add a little more energy for when we need it next. Absolutely. Thank you so much for all of that. Honestly, I think we're all just taking this in and going like, this is just so great to hear because I don't know, I feel like people try to make you feel guilty for all of these things and for overindulging and it's shamed upon. And then you, the new year comes around and then everyone's like, oh, you got to lose all the holiday weight. And, you know, and it's just, I don't know, it's really hard to kind of see all that advertising and kind of deal with that, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, enjoy those holidays too. So, of course. And we, you know, we live in a capitalistic society, unfortunately. And yeah, they're trying to make money off of it. They are profiting whenever I, this is one of, it's a silly self care um, tip, but it honestly changed my life. Um, Thinking about, because so in the context of like diet culture and all this weight loss messaging, new year, new you, gym memberships. They're trying to make money off of your insecurities. So whenever you feel bad about yourself, if you're like, oh, I'm worried that I gained weight or I'm insecure about my body or this meal that I ate or whatever it is about yourself, your body, your health, your nutrition that you feel yucky about, just think to yourself, you know what, who's profiting off of my insecurities? Yeah. That's what I think wow. about sometimes. And I'm like, not on yeah. my watch or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Wait, true. kind of going off of that question or that mm-hmm. answer that you just gave. So I feel like the fitness industry tries to do this a lot. Like they're selling all these like workout supplements and I don't even know what's in all of these supplements. And then they're mm-hmm. telling you, oh, you need to have this much protein in a day and all of that stuff. So for someone who is trying to go to the gym and build muscle and kind of be taking in, you know, healthy food and doing it the right way. 
what are the healthy types of supplements that you should be taking? How much protein should you be eating? And what are kind of the bad things that you should stay away from? Yeah, so this is a very interesting question. I feel like some personal trainers may come for me if they're, um, you know, being sponsored by any supplement um, companies. But the way that I typically like to, from the, you know, more so the personal trainer lens of things, um, I really am not a fan of supplements. Um, if again, you need a supplement because maybe your doctor says like you're vitamin D deficient or you, you know, you're anemic and you need iron or B12 or folic acid or, you know, something like that, like, heck yeah, go for it. But in the specific terms of, um, you know, supplements to, um, to, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, in the, in terms of supplements, you know, for like, I guess, performance enhancement, like in the gym or sports or anything like that, there really aren't that many that I would recommend. I mean, maybe if you have a hard time eating enough, maybe like a protein powder, um, you know, one that you like, there's a lot of different kinds. There's like whey and casein, which are milk proteins. There's, um, there's some different like soy, which is fine. Um, so side note, there is some evidence out there that, um, you know, for it's conflicted at best, um, that soy is something to avoid. Um, and so there's actually been more evidence that, cause especially it's in the context of people that have like PCOS or, um, history of breast cancer or have a diagnosis of breast cancer. Um, there hasn't been enough convincing evidence that soy is problematic for these folks, at least in like the quantities that we typically eat. Um, so again, if you find that your body doesn't work, you know, soy and you don't get along, if you don't tolerate it or it doesn't make you feel good, you don't have to have it, but you know, you don't have to necessarily avoid it. So that's my random aside on soy. But so there's soy protein, there's different plant proteins, any of them, if you want to take a protein, any of them are fine. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter as long as you like it, you know, yeah. just make sure that it's a reputable brand, make sure that there's no, you know, if there's any kind of, I think there was something about, I don't remember how long ago this was or what, what company it was, but there was like some scandal with um, a certain like protein powder being, um, I think it had like heavy. Oh, it was the F factor, um, which is the F factor is a, um, it's a specific diet that has like supplements and stuff. So the F factor, I think had a lawsuit about how there was like heavy metals in it. So maybe avoid that one. Um, but you yeah. know, you to I mean, a of lot of the supplements, you know, like I feel like yeah. the ingredient list is so weird and it's just like, you don't even know what you're putting in your body and it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to find like the good, you know, ones that are giving you the nutrition you need, but also not filling you mm -hmm. with all this other additives and weird ingredients and all of that. Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah, I think that certain, you know, certain additive ingredients definitely have their place, like as, you know, functions as like thickeners or things like that, like that stuff is fine, but we definitely don't, don't want any heavy metals in there. Um, Cause the FDA yeah. has very loose regulations on supplements also, which is another reason why I say, definitely make sure you are buying from a brand that you trust, do your research, make sure they have good reviews, that the reviews are also from like trustworthy people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, or at, you could always ask your doctor if you're not sure that that's always the best bet. You know, if you're not sure, just ask your doctor. They'll have, you know, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. Um, 
But yeah, in terms of other supplements, I know some folks who play sports and um, are maybe more endurance athletes um, like pre-workout. And I say, you know, if you like it, if it makes you feel okay, you don't have any heart issues um, because there is some kind of there is some indication that um, pre-workout's not recommended for folks with heart issues. But anybody else, you know, if you want to take pre-workout before a hard workout or before a tournament day like go ahead make sure you know another side effect for some folks can be also diarrhea so just make sure you have a toilet nearby if you're not sure how it's going to work for you um but yeah other than that there's a lot of hype around certain supplements but there's really just not not a lot of evidence to back up their efficacy like one that i know gets a lot of hype is branch chain amino acids um the acronym is bcaa's um, I had a nutrition professor in undergrad that used to call those um, supplements very expensive urine because essentially <laughs> our body makes enough BCAAs typically, um, you know, unless you have a rare disease that would affect that. But most of us don't. You would know if you did. Um, and so taking BCAAs really doesn't do anything because your body already makes what it needs from the food that we take in. Um so I know that's one that, you know, that's one myth. So I'm sorry if you are, um, you know, you have BCAAs in your kitchen cabinet, but uh, they're really not doing too much for you. So is there a certain amount of protein that you should be aiming to to consume? Because I've seen like some weightlifters are like for every pound of body weight, you have to have one gram of protein or something, you know, ridiculous like that. So is there a certain amount that you should be aiming to kind of, get or should you just try to incorporate it into your meals yeah so again another really good question and this is going to um to really vary person to person I feel like that is one of my favorite phrases in nutrition but it's so infuriating I think for other folks is it's always like it varies it depends it depends on one person to the other Um, And same thing with, you know, with protein needs and any macronutrient needs for that matter. But I would say, you know, in general, if you're a numbers person, if you take your body weight in kilos and multiply that from like 0.8 to like, I don't know, 1.5 grams of protein per kilo, that's typically good uh, as like a, you know, kind of a general range Um, Not a number to live and die by, of course, but, you know, if you're a numbers person, that's my recommendation. Um, But for the rest of us folks who are not as much numbers people, yeah, I think if you're just someone who goes to the gym a few times a week after work, um, you know, I think just whatever you eat with your meals is fine. Again, if you're someone who maybe struggles with appetite, like if you not really are like a breakfast person, but you really want to work out, um, Maybe a protein powder could be good if you want to put a scoop in with like some some water if you're you know a kind of a plain person or if you want to do like a, put it in like a smoothie, you could do that. Um, but there's not really unless you're someone who is, you know, spending multiple hours in the gym every single day of the week for multiple weeks, you know that's really the only time you would need to up your protein from you know from a fitness standpoint to something like higher like to kind of like you were saying that one person who said one pound of one pound of body weight equals like one gram of protein. That's a lot of protein. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, so like, that's just, just, for, so 
that's so much protein. Like if you yeah. just imagine like, uh, you know, this is a very arbitrary number, but if it's a 200 pound person, that's 200 grams of protein. And just for reference, your typical like standard chicken breast that's three to four ounces has like 30 grams of protein. That's a lot of chicken. <laughs> yeah, that is a yeah. lot. Yeah. And it's not, it's not super great to have that much protein anyway. I mean, if you're using it, awesome, but um, you know, excess protein, it doesn't get stored like the other macronutrients do. So like, you know, any excess carbohydrate or fat that we take in typically can get stored for later energy use, right? Um, but protein does not, so it gets peed out. And so that can put over time, if you're taking in like gratuitous, and I'm talking like, this doesn't apply to most people, but someone who's taking in just an obscene amount of protein and not using it, um, that would, you know, put a lot of stress on your kidneys over time. Yeah, that's, really good to you know make a point about not to take that much protein that you're kind of straining your kidneys and everything like that and I mean I feel like we've talked a lot about you know food and healthy food and I mean all food is good right that's what you're saying but something that is also kind of important to diet is just being able to consume enough water for you to kind of hydrate yourself and be healthy And I know for me personally, I am so bad at drinking water. It's just terrible. I just forget to drink it all day. But um, it's something that I've been trying to work on. And I was just wondering, like, how much water should we be drinking in order to kind of hydrate ourselves and be healthy? Of course. So like all of my other wonderful answers, um, it depends. Um, But a good recommendation that's out there typically um that I agree with for the most part as like a good kind of introductory number if you're someone who struggles with drinking water is to have eight eight ounce glasses of water a day so that's like 64 ounces a day so like just imagine like an eight ounce glass just drink eight of those um something that I find helpful too and a lot of my my patients and clients have found helpful is just always keeping water next to you Um, So if you're at work, like bringing a water bottle with you, especially if it's reusable, um, you know, and making sure you have somewhere reliable that you can fill it up Um, again and make sure that, of course, you know, the tap water in your area is safe to drink. Um, But, you know, you would probably know if it wasn't. So um, having somewhere to fill up a reusable water bottle and kind of mapping that out or, you know, if you are really dead set on buying bottled water, knowing where you can buy it. Um, or if you're in an area where, you know, access to tap water is not possible. Um, but even if you're home, um, this is what I typically do all the time. But I'm also just, my body is just, tells me when it's thirsty. I know that's not the case with everybody, but I cannot be like more than an arm's reach away from a glass of water at all times. Um, and I've just, I've been that way my whole life. Um, so, but that's, I think a good thing is just, um, you know, live like Kristen, have your glass of water at arm's reach at all times. And you know, eventually, if you keep doing that, you'll kind of condition yourself to, you know, be thinking more consciously about it if you always have water with you. Um, Another tip I have heard people have had success with is, um, I think they're called timer bottles. Um, They're like really big water bottles, you fill it up at the beginning of the day. And essentially, they have little lines on them with like a time. Um, And so it's like, okay, so by 2pm, you should have drunk this much. And then 4pm, it's another little increment up until like the end of the day. 
Um, so those are also pretty cool, especially if you are one of those people, you know, like you said, Rachna, where, you know, you maybe might go most of your day without drinking water. That might be a good reminder. And then when you get back to your bottle, if it's 2 p.m. and you're still at the 12 p.m., you know that you need to maybe do a little bit better with your hydration next time um, or, you know, catch up a little bit from 12 p.m. That's actually super useful. I need to get one of those water bottles or get one of those apps that literally reminds you to drink water. I know that those apps exist to get like those push notifications. Yeah, wow. I don't know if any of y'all were uh, Tamagotchi owners at any point in your youth. Absolutely. Um, I saw a really funny meme the other day where it was like an Apple Watch is like a Tamagotchi, but the animal that you're trying to keep alive is you. Oh, oh my, my gosh. god, that's great. Wait, I love that. Makes that makes me so excited. <laughs> it's much more motivating for me to close my rings, actually. <laughs> yeah, and hey, if that's what keeps you motivated you know, as long as you're not living and dying by it, that's all good. But if it helps you stay motivated and keep you on track with standing up and drinking your water, like that's all good. No, absolutely. Kristen, thank you so, so much for taking your time um, out of your night to join us today and sharing your knowledge about healing, um, healing relationships with food and breaking down diet culture myths. Kristen has started a new Instagram page called At The Pop Punk Dietitian, and we're going to link that in the episode description below. And um, this is where they talk a lot about uh, similar topics that we've talked about tonight. So please be sure to give Kristen a follow. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a lot. We really, truly did. And as always, you could find us on Instagram at The Triage, and we've included some resources um, that are pertaining to this episode in the episode description as well. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Bye.